Today on Stick to Football, a lot of news and notes to get to. We may eventually have franchise tag windows and free agency. We're also going to continue our big board breakdowns, running backs, offensive tackles, defensive linemen, and edge rushers today. A lot of fun and your drafts on draft questions. Of course, Matt Mello and Connor, you can watch us on Bleacher Report's YouTube page. You can listen to us, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your shows. But fellas, good news. NFL 2K is back. However, I have no idea what a non-simulation football game is. I maybe this actually means that like that NFL head coach game is coming back. I loved that shit. Or give me like just an NFL GM game. I'd be good with that. EA Sports has an exclusivity deal for simulation games like Madden. So we'll see what what this 2K exactly means yeah I, I think it's big news that comes across twitter but at the same time this is going to be simulate uh, not simulation football so i think we're getting like nfl street all over again or yep. we're going to get like you're going to go through combine drills or, or something like that so it's a i think a step in the right direction i hate that ea has this monopoly over the nfl but maybe it's a step in the right direction without a doubt i think they can do seven on seven or like you yep. said mellow it'll probably be a playground style game which Man, I miss NFL Street. I know when we did the video game show over summer, we were talking a lot about that. So I would be good with that. What I will say is, guys, I believe the exclusive license expires after 2021. So maybe 2K is trying to get their foot in the door and maybe get some early rights or at least let them know that they're interested in trying to get that over EA now. All I know is whoever brings back college football will have my loyalty forever. Man. And I'm I'm technically an employee of EA Sports, so I got to be careful here. But no, like really, whoever whoever brings back college football, you got me. You got forever, and yeah. I will work for free helping you develop this game. And I think we talked a lot about that over the summer. There's just so many hoops to jump through, and it's not even on EA's or you know the guys at 2K. It's not on their end. Yeah. It's all these conferences wanting to do something different, wanting to get their money, not giving over their rights. I don't even. It's not even the players. I think it all breaks down to the conferences not wanting to give up anything unless they're getting big dollars back it's funny because colleges still use it to recruit like when we went to texas they were showing us some of their recruiting stuff and it's it's still the guys like in the uniform in ncaa 14 they're still using that stuff to recruit so there's definitely an appetite out there now some draft news our guy Tua Tungavailoa cleared yesterday happy Tua day march 9th his pro day will be april 9th in alabama and he has a cast of characters to throw to that are pretty good but i think (laughs) what's encouraging about this guy's is and we so we said this a couple weeks ago. Every step of the way for Tua has been good news. From the injury until now, every scan, every checkup, every appointment has been positive. Now, I will say I'm, I still remain skeptical because these reports are coming from his agent. And there's always – you just have to be a little skeptical when all the medical reports are coming from your own camp. But I will say, coming out of the combine – we're a week removed now, two weeks removed now. I have not heard from any team's concerns about Tua's medical. So I think what you're hearing from the NFL community lines up with what we're hearing from Lee Steinberg, from Tua's camp. So that that is encouraging. And whether you're the Miami Dolphins, the L.A. Chargers, I think somebody is going to find themselves a damn good quarterback in Tua in the, in the top five or six picks. Yeah, I think the trick here is just you're going to have to have the offensive line to go with it. Uh, he has been banged up. You want to keep him healthy. You don't want that hip taking any more hits or his ankle or his knee, whatever it's been. But again, breaking news here. 
Tua still healthy. I'm sure he's going to come out, you know, throw in the pro day, move in the pro day, look really good. Everybody will be really excited, which I know I am. I love Tua as much as anyone. But I think once again, guys, something we always talk about on this show, the real question is, can you keep him healthy going forward? Can you avoid re-aggravation of significant injuries that that he's had or, you know, obviously new injuries that he could develop? So I think for Tua, these are all great signs. But I think when you look at his actual draft stock, the question teams are really wondering is, do we have the infrastructure in place to keep the guy healthy? No matter what, though, guys, I think it's safe to say two is going in the top five. Yeah, and it might be a trade up, but it it does seem like that's going to happen. And it feels like we've been waiting forever for free agency to get here. And I'm sure another guy who feels that way is Dak Prescott, who there were reports that the Cowboys offered him $33 per year with over $100 million guaranteed. He said no thank you to that deal, and we're coming up against it. The franchise tag window now closes Monday, March 16th at noon Eastern time. So as we're sitting here recording, guys, we are six days away from that, and the Cowboys have a decision to make on do they tag Dak Prescott. I would th- they're, going to t- they're not going to let him hit the market. They're going to tag him or they're going to get this deal done, but it is complicated. We've said this with Patrick Mahomes as well. Everyone's waiting for this new CBA. And player voting was delayed one more time. It now ends March 14th at midnight. So there's a chance we won't know the results. I don't know how they're counting these votes. We might not know the results of the CBA vote before the franchise tag window closes. And I think that's why we're seeing these dates pushed and things extended so that that might happen. But if you're the Cowboys or the Kansas City Chiefs, and there's not as much urgency to get Mahomes' deal done. But if you're the Cowboys, and if you're Dak Prescott, you really want to see the money on this new CBA before you sign any kind of deal. Well, I think also with Dak, that you have to look at this, quarterbacks always reset the market. If you re-sign as a quarterback, you should be the highest-paid quarterback that there is in the NFL right now. And the Cowboys aren't offering him Jared Goff-type money. Jared Goff is getting 33 and a half per year. So of course Dak's going to come in and say, no, that's that's not the way this works. We've been doing this thing for a hundred years now. I should be the highest paid quarterback until the next guy signs. So for the Cowboys to come in at 33 mil, that doesn't surprise me that Dak says no. They should really probably start conversations at 35. I think once you do that, I think everybody's probably happy with that number. But Jerry Jones trying to get a little bit more money. They need a lot of it. Uh, you got guys like Amari Cooper that you need to re-sign too. So the Cowboys have a lot of work to do trying to save that $2 million, though. I don't know if that's the way to do it. Yeah, it does look like that's exactly what they're trying to do. Maybe those two, that 2 to $3 million will go to a veteran defensive lineman. As we talked about that crowded free agent market, the Cowboys should be looking in. But if you're Dak's agents, you're sitting there on the table and you're showing the numbers. I mean, this is a guy that almost threw for 5,000 yards last year, guys. 30 touchdowns, 11 picks. We know what he can do on the move. He has gotten significantly better each year. And Mello, that's exactly right. If you're his agents, you're not taking anything less because guess what? Dak's record contract when he gets it is going to be shattered shortly after by Mahomes. And this is going to go on and on and on. So I'm not surprised at all. And that's a great point about the CBA because you look at it, there's going to, there could potentially be a lot more wiggle room when that salary cap is announced for the new CBA. Not this year, but in future years to come. Yeah, and there's also the funding rule is going to change, which says that you have to have guaranteed money you have put in escrow. So if you're coming in... Jerry's got it. I mean, Jerry's good. (laughs) Jerry's fine, right? But, you know, like, um, I I think Jared Goff got like 55-plus guaranteed at signing, which basically means they owe you $55 million when Penn hits paper. 
obviously the Cowboys are going to be okay with that. But I think, you know, we will see Dak. I think that's what, if I were his agents, what I would care most about is the guaranteed money. Like whatever your year, year, whatever you want to call it. I think percent guaranteed and the amount guaranteed is what I would go for. And I've been an advocate for years of saying, just tie my salary to a percent of the cap. I want 12% a year of the cap guaranteed. Because that helps the team and it helps the player because as the cap grows, your salary grows. And when you're a quarterback, I think you can get away with that. But Jared Goff, 82% of his contract guaranteed. I, I, if I'm Dak, I'm shooting for 90. I was going to say Kirk Cousins got a Kirk Cousins got 100% of his deal guaranteed. So there are definitely ways to do it where that helps the player um, and helps the team. I, if you're drafted number one or number two overall, your contract's fully guaranteed. Especially right now. at quarterback. Like the Cowboys aren't going to walk away from this Dak Prescott deal. They're not going to get him three years in and be like, well, let's cut him. Let's go start looking for a new quarterback. You guarantee that money. It's, you're going to pay it anyway. Uh, maybe you don't get him on that third contract, but you're going to ride out this full one. I just watched Marcus Mariota and Jameis Winston for five years on rookie deals. Like you're not cutting a quarterback if they're playing okay football. And we're going to get that from Dak Prescott. He's been playing very well, like Connor was saying. So go ahead and guarantee it all. Like That's just another thing that you can use to negotiate. Say, okay, we're going to guarantee all of your money. We're going to give you $34 million a year. That's what the Cowboys need Who to do says in this no situation. Apparently Dak Prescott. <laughs> I was going to say, it might be Dak Prescott <laughs> yeah. that says no to that. So, Although, if you're Dak Prescott, there's enough money for him to get paid and for Amari Cooper to get paid. Definitely. I will say that. But you definitely don't want to overshoot this to the point where you don't have, like, he has a very good supporting cast. I think they're each their own. Dak's a very good quarterback that's ascending. He has a very good supporting cast. That's why we're here. You just don't want to get too crazy and start to inch towards the $40 million mark. Right, and this is a player who's made $2.7 million to play football the last four years. And he's due. He's due, right? He took the the discount already happened. If I'm Dak, if I'm Todd France and CAA, that's what I'm saying right now. We gave you a discount for four years. Yeah. No more, no more. Time to pay us up, guys. Um, th- there's been an, all over Twitter this weekend and, and early this week. The Los Angeles Rams allegedly have a new logo that leaked on Reddit of all places, and then was confirmed by Charles Robinson of Yahoo Sports, and. It's terrible. It's just really, really bad. If you haven't seen it, it looks like an L.A. with a yellow comb over. Like, that's the best way I yeah, can put it. That's it. Like a slick back comb over and the the letters L.A. It's really, really bad. And hopefully this isn't it. I could, I'm not going to say what I tweeted because I don't want to I don't want to be that guy. Um it's ugly, though. It's terrible. It looks like the Chargers and the Rams had a baby, and you made a logo out of it. Like, it's it's just not good. I think going into L.A., like, there's so many chances to just rebrand and redo this thing, and you got a team of people in a room, and that's what you guys came up with? I like, hope not. Oh, let's just put a ram horn on the A. It'll look awesome. Like, it's a great idea, I, I think, in theory, but then when you put it down, you should just be like, no, this isn't working. I'm looking at it on a hat right now. Like, I would rather just stick with the old Ram logo. It was better than what, what? you have right now. What's wrong with the old Ram logo? That's, I don't, Nothing. I mean, you don't really necessarily need to rebrand if it's going to be worse. It does yeah. look like if the Chargers and the Rams had to morph into one and got demoted to the XFL. That's what it looks like. like. Let's just save money on this whole thing. We'll come up with one logo that works for us both. 
I wouldn't be surprised if they did maybe leak this to get the public opinion on yeah. it, and yes. it doesn't end up being the actual logo. Well, do I could the- see it being tweaked and tailored and just much better than what we've seen. There was the Chargers one that basically looked like the Dodgers, but with like a lightning bolt. Yes. And it was like, oh, this is the new logo. And then, oh, no, no, it's not. I do think they probably field tested this by, hey, let's leak this and see what the reaction is. And honestly, like, could you imagine being the chief marketing officer and like, the, if the owner loved this logo, it was like, you know what? I'm going to leak this shit just so people can tell him how no. bad it is. And then just, oh, we're not using it anymore. It's 2020. Like Nike's doing the uniforms. Like get we, our logos are better than this. <laughs> like come on. I know. Like call our guys. Or just do even like a fan thing. There are so many graphic designers out there that would do something really cool and you could just be like, "Yeah, okay, we'll give you a 50 bucks. We want that logo or whatever it is." The yeah. NFL prints Season money. Season tickets. Here you go. <laughs> Yeah. Dial up Pete from Graphics that makes all the stick to football stuff. <laughs> get, just get it right. Good lord! I actually like the old school logo. Like I like the Rams with like the charge, like Ram. the blue and white. It's, a, ni- it's yeah. a nice logo and a nice color palette. It really is, and it's unique. Yeah, I don't like this. All right, Monday is going to be a busy day. We will have a show for you Monday afternoon, but buckle up because at noon, like we said, the franchise tag window closes, and then it so at eleven fifty nine a.m. <laughs> The franchise tag window closes. At 12 p.m., yes, one minute later, God. the legal tampering window opens. So Monday, get your sunflower seeds, get your popcorn, get whatever you do for free agency. Close every tab but tweet deck. Get ready because Monday at noon Eastern time is going to be insane. And you'll be teaching. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Guess we're watching a movie next week. <laughs> I mean, it's going to be funny to watch teams figure out uh, long-term contract deals in one and a half minutes or two minutes. By 12.02, we'll have signings. It's funny how that works. Yeah, it? like why does the NFL even do this? Like you know what's going on. You know agents are already talking to teams. Like at least make it like 12.30 or something or just get rid of this legal tampering. Like everybody knows Players what's going have on. already been traded. Like yeah. you know that like, it's happening. Come on, just stop it already. We already know. The thing is, I'll say, like, everybody gets really excited when verbal agreements are ma- are made. As a Jets fan, I don't anymore because <laughs> oh, we've had so many year. go. Forget and It's always the Vikings, too. Forget Anthony Barr. You guys might not remember this. I do as a little kid. Antoine Winfield had signed with the Jets, and it was like a huge wow. deal. And then it didn't happen. So if you're a Jets fan, you know the legal tampering window is just what nightmares are made of. Yeah, that's I forgot about Anthony Barr until you guys start talking about it. Oh, oh it's it's man. a common theme. Man, still need an edge rusher, by the way. Not that, not that he's <laughs> it's a never true edge rusher, but <laughs> nope, never going to happen. All right, let's take a break. When we come back, maybe we'll find an edge rusher for Connor. We have running backs, tackles, edge rushers, and D-line positional big boards. It's time to talk running backs. If you missed it, we talked receivers, tight ends, and defensive backs on the Monday afternoon show. Go back and check that out. But running backs one through five in this year's draft, guys. I'll kick us off. Running back one for me, DeAndre Swift. Clyde Edwards Elaire at running back two. Jonathan Taylor at three. J.K. Dobbins at four. And Cam Akers at five. And I'll say, I think all five of these dudes can be starters in the NFL. Yep. And sorry, Mel. Not even just like, oh, in the right scheme, this guy. Nope. All five should be starters in the NFL. 
Yep. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think that once you look at these five, the next guys are kind of like the, uh, they could probably have a role be that number two back. I think all five of these guys could be that number one running back, uh, depending on which team drafts them. But I have them in a little different order. I'm going to go DeAndre Swift, number one, do it all running back. Jonathan Taylor, two, J.K. Dobbins, three, Clyde Edwards, Hilaire at four, and Cam Akers at five. Please don't get pissed off at me that you're running back sitting there at four or five. I love all of these guys. I think that you look at all five of them, they could have been in the argument for running back one or running back two last year. It just happens that they're all in the same class, so they're all going to be kind of grouped together. I do think this is a close group, and and Melo, I have the same rankings as you. Swift number one, Taylor two, Dobbins three, uh, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire four, and Cam Akers five. What I will say is I think all five are starters. I I really, really love Swift and Taylor. I I do think the one and two, there is a little gap down to Dobbins, uh, Clyde, and Akers. I think with Swift, the ceiling as a pass catcher is phenomenal. I mean, he can really run the full route tree. I think he's explosive and tough. And with Taylor, when you're just looking for a workhorse that's been reliable and has the athleticism to be a big play guy, I love what we've seen from him. But the guy I want to bring up right now is Clyde Edwards-Hilaire because, Matt, you said you have him as RB2. It is been a huge year and a huge rise for this guy. It really has been, and I th- I think with Clyde, one of the concerns would be you got one year of tape, basically. One year of explosive production. I love the way he plays, though. I mean, his contact balance is phenomenal. You know, he's a, a little bowling ball, five foot seven, but he's impossible to tackle because of that. Like Kyler Murray, he's got a small strike zone. It's a hard guy to get a hat on. And so with Edwards Alaire, when you have the power in his base, no, he's not the fastest guy, and he's not going to have the chunk plays of J.K. Dobbins or Jonathan Taylor. But what he does translates so well to the NFL. His ability to run between the tackles, but also run off tackle. J.K. Dobbins, a monster between the guards, not great on the outside. I think with Edwards Alaire, you're scheme proof in that I can get you on inside zone, I can get you on outside zone. You, he's a great receiver out of the backfield. How many times do we see Joe Burrow rely on this guy as his fourth or fifth progression and make a play? So, yes, I worry a little bit about speed, but I don't worry about agility, power, balance, vision in the open field. I, I think he's very, very special, and, and I would not be shocked if he ends up being a late first or early second round pick. I, I think you can say that with any of these guys, but specifically Clyde Edwards-Hilaire and the rest of these LSU players, I worry about that one-year boom that they all had uh, with running back, especially. I mean, in any system, you should be able to find success at running back, but with Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, like you said, his vision, uh, his contact balance to run and be that small guy on the field but still run with power, and the speed, the four six forty. No one cares about that. Not in the NFL. He still shows that he can separate, get away into that next level. So I really like him, like you said, into first round, second. If somehow he falls to the third, uh, a lot of teams are going to be calling up trying to get this guy. Yeah, he looks like a Mark Ingram clone. I mean, PFF had him registered with 70 missed tackles this year. The guy constantly, constantly uh, got more yards, made big plays, and man, he's just tough to tackle. And I'll say, I have all five players ranked inside my top 50. So, like, that... I, that says so much about these players. And one guy we all have, I was actually surprised, and I'm, I'm happy that we all have him here, Cam Akers out of Florida State. Vision, power, and burst on a terrible team. So you want to talk about Edwards Alaire, J.K. Dobbins, how good their offensive lines were. Cam Akers is the exact opposite. On a terrible offensive line, in an offense with no production, he still got it done. And I think with Akers, you can say, 2018, like, where'd you go, man? 2019, he bounced back in a big way. With no offensive line. And I think you look at the combine numbers and the number of players that Florida State sent. 
I think Akers might have been the only one. I think uh, two, Stanford Samuel. But that's it. They, there were no skill position players. There were no offensive linemen on that team. He made something out of nothing. They, they helped him out zero times on that offensive line or in that offense. So Cam Akers, it's really hard to get an evaluation on him, but you watch the tape of him this year, and it's like, holy shit, look at this guy make something out of nothing. That's a four-year. Yeah, there was a reason that, you know, in that recruiting class, it was him and then Najee Harris. Yep. They were 1A and 1B, but the Cam Akers hype was huge. FSU, the program just fell apart when he got there, unfortunately for him. And I think it also helps guys that Chuba Hubbard, Travis Etienne, and Najee Harris went back to school and opened the door for Akers to get into this top five. I can't even imagine what this class would be like with all eight of those guys. Well, Kylan Hill, even. I liked Kylan Hill. That's another one. And I think he would have been a top ten back. He would be there with like a Zach Moss of, all right, where do we slot you in? Uh, Next year's going to be crazy at the running back position. We all agree DeAndre Swift is the guy. I do want to touch on Jonathan Taylor. He's number two for both of you, number three for me. Jonathan Taylor is interesting because I think if the Titans let Derrick Henry go, Jonathan Taylor's a seamless fit. If the Chiefs decide, we've always said, like, maybe Veach just gets crazy and it's like, you know what? I'm just giving Mahomes weapons. Jonathan Taylor would be perfect there. I worry about the fumbles with this guy. I don't think there's any way to dismiss it. When you talk about what are your concerns with Jonathan Taylor, it starts with fumbles. And then I think from there it goes to load share, just the, the carries, over 900 carries in college football. So for me, like the the missed tackles that he creates are amazing. He's a an ideal zone runner, especially outside zone. But guys, that what do you have? Eighteen fumbles in three years. That's a, a pretty pretty big concern for me. I think that's something that can be fixed at the next level. I, I see, think you see a lot of guys come into the NFL and they have fumble concerns. I think you can fix that with Jonathan Taylor. I think the upside is just so amazing to be two twenty five, run the four three forty. He does everything. I think he can catch the ball out of the backfield. I have him comped right now to Zeke Elliott. These guys weren't asked to catch the ball a lot in the offense. Wisconsin doesn't do that. They don't throw to the running back. They hand the ball off to the running back, and they're going to do it 30 times a game. So you can't really fault the guy for saying, ah, you didn't catch the ball out of the backfield. That's not their offense. Uh, the fumbles, it's a concern. We've talked about it before. I think a lot of it is learning when you're stopped, learning when you've been tackled and going down. You can run through guys at Purdue or Indiana and get those extra yards. You're not going to do it in the pros, not as much. So you're probably going to go down. You're not going to fumble as much. Yeah, with JT, that's the big deal. I mean, just hold on to the ball. But it also makes you wonder, you know, was he just doing too much? So the production's been great. The athleticism's great. We know he's, you know, off the charts character and hard worker. And I'm excited to see him as a feature back at the next level. All right, let's move to the offensive tackles. This is a class that I remember uh, early January. I was like, "Eh, I like three of these guys. And then we've had time to see some of them in person. We've had time to do film study. There's been senior bowl combine. have come along. I really like five, maybe five and a half of them now. And my top five, we're not very different on these. Jedrick Wills, Tristan Wirfs, Makai Becton, Andrew Thomas, and Josh Jones. All five of those players I have projected as first round picks. All five, I believe, can be starting, excuse me, starting left tackles in the NFL. Austin Jackson from USC was really, really close to making the cut for me. I have those six tackles ranked in the top 33 overall right now. 
You have the top six in the top 33? Yes, sir. Ooh, you like them more than I do. I think I'm like the last guy that's sitting here saying, I like three of the tackles, and then there are some other ones. I have them a little bit differently. I have Wills, number one, Werfs, two, Andrew Thomas, three, and I really like all three of those guys. I think at a minimum, you're getting a really good right tackle out of all three of them. Probably a really good left tackle out of all three of them. Next, I have Makai Becton. I'm so on the fence with this guy. I go back and forth. Sometimes I see him and I think, man, if the right offensive line coach gets his hands on him, this is going to be one of the best linemen in the NFL. If he doesn't decide to work in the NFL, I think he's going to bust. He's going to be out of the league in three years. And then I have Josh Jones, who is really starting to grow on me. I didn't watch any tape on him until the Senior Bowl. You hear this guy's going to the Senior Bowl, and I think he's a riser. I think that he could finish uh, as the number four tackle in this class, and I think he could work himself into the top 15 picks as well. I mean, it's the same for me here, Melo. Again, Wills, Worfs, Thomas, and I do think you can group them. I really do like Becton's ceiling so mm-hmm. much that I think I become more and more drawn by it. But the floor is scary. It's something we talk about on this show over and over again. How yep. is he going to handle counter moves in pass protection at the next level? In run blocking, is he just going to be able to throw everyone 10 yards out of the way? Because <laughs> I don't think so. No. I'd love to see it. And then Josh Jones. Josh Jones has been a huge riser. He deserves to be a first-round pick. I love what I've seen from pass protection with him. But let's talk about the top of this class. I think Wills and Werfs can be really special players. And what I like about Andrew Thomas is I think he's a high-floor player. I think he's very smart. I think he understands the space around him. He understands when to run guys out. I think he has good hands and power. And I think with Thomas, you're getting a player that is just really hard-nosed and will help you in the run game from day one. So I look at this class, and you love the athletes at the top that are Wills and Wirfs, and of course a guy like Becton. But I like the reliability of Thomas so much where – there's a handful of starters in this group. There really are. Andrew Thomas, I'm the low man on him, so I'll address that. I did not like his feet, and and I didn't like them in person. And then going back and watching the film study, it was like, oh, man, I just could not get on board. I think that can be fixed, obviously, but it feels like when he's stressed, his footwork kind of just goes away. Now, in the SEC, he I, I think he gave up one sack this year. I, I don't have my notes right in front of me. But, I mean, incredible production in the SEC. That's what you want to see. With Makai Becton, it's all projection. I feel like with Andrew Thomas, there's almost none. Like, you know exactly what you're getting. Like you said, Connor, I mean, his floor is incredibly high. I think he's pro-ready. I mean, he's flexible. He's strong. Excellent length. I just think his feet need a lot of work. Yeah, I think that could come with, you know, a little bit of time in the NFL, too. I think Georgia likes those big, bulky guys. I mean, you even look at Isaiah Wilson, who played opposite him. They're almost like a Wisconsin offensive line where they have these big road graders and they say, we got four running backs back here. Just pave the way in the run game and we'll figure it out. We'll win ball games. It's worked at Georgia. But I, th- I think both those tackles have some work to do uh, with their feet because they're just not used to you know, having to run that style of offense. And going back to just the top of this class, how special Wills is. I don't think it gets stated enough. I know on this show, us three sit here and we go, Jedrick Wills is offensive tackle number one. But I don't think that's the general consensus out there, guys. We heard rumblings that, you know, oh, is he a guard, which was ridiculous. And then you see a lot of hype that Becton, because of his ceiling, is the top guy. I feel more comfortable about Wills as a tackle than, than I have as probably since Ronnie Stanley, honestly. 
when you're going back to drafts, I which liked, was a couple years ago now. I liked Jonah Williams a lot. I know there was concern about where was he going to play, and it's funny because they were on the same offensive line. Wills, to me, has power. I mean, he, he does not get moved off his spot. Playing right tackle, he can handle bull rush. He can handle power, but he's also agile. And I, I think we've talked, oh, my Kai Becton moves so well. I think Wills actually moves better. Oh, because yeah. it's more functional, and he has balance. Mm-hmm. I think he Becton's does. balance gets really bad at times. For me, and Will's a little bit shorter. He's kind of stocky at times. But like He just doesn't lose. There's a lot of stalemates. And it, it's funny because he's more athletic than this, but he reminds me at times of Mitch Schwartz because it's just like you just don't lose reps, and it's not always sexy. It just shuts guys down. And I think Mitch gets knocked because he plays right tackle and because he doesn't pancake a lot of guys. I feel like Wills is getting knocked for some of the set. Oh, he played right tackle. Well, he protected to his blind side pretty damn well. He gave up one sack this year. And he might not always just, you know, he's not going to, like Connor said, he's not going to pick guys up and run them out of the frame like Mekhi Becton. But he's a hell of a lot more patient and poised in pass protection. Yeah, and I think that's what you need. You you don't need these big maulers anymore. You need somebody that can you know deal with these edge rushers that are a little bit smaller, but also the next week deal with a four three end who's going to bring power. And I do think Jedrick Wills is maybe one of the only tackles in this class that can do it. I really like Tristan Wirfs. I think he needs to play with more functional strength still. We watched him move, uh, and I tell you, before the 40, I even loved the way, the way this guy pulled. They would pull their tackle in a lot of these plays at Iowa. He can get out there. I want to see him play with a little bit more functional strength in the box instead of moving. Makai Becton, he ran a very fast 40. That doesn't mean you can get to the second level in the run game. It doesn't mean you have athletic feet when you're doing your pass drops. So the 40, I know that everybody wants to say, man, this guy weighed in at 364 pounds and ran a 5-1. That's amazing. Congratulations. But it has almost nothing to do with what he can do on the football field. <laughs> it's so true. It's true. I mean, the scary thing with offensive line classes in general is – uh, getting drawn in by the flash, whether it's a clip you saw on Twitter where somebody's getting, <laughs> you know, like the blind side or, um, you know, or it's something at the combine and it's still impressive. I don't want to knock it. I'm yep. just saying the entire picture rather than the sample size, which is what I love about Will so much and Thomas is what matters. And I'll say this, um, Makai Becton is the Justin Herbert of the offensive tackle class. And what I mean by that is that dude looks beautiful in shorts. And when he's doing the drills and it's cut up on Instagram, oh, right? Oh, my God, this is amazing. Just like Justin Herbert, seven on seven, looks fantastic. When you turn the tape on, that's what scares me is actual football versus the seven on seven or the, the stuff in shorts ceiling for both those guys is incredibly high. It's just getting the right staff to realize that to Beckton's credit, working with Duke Mannyweather, who we've had on this show before Duke knows his shit. So uh, I, we want every one of these players to succeed. Uh, and I, I think that Beckton is putting himself in a good position to do that. Well, let's take a break. We come back. We're going to go to the defensive line edge rushers and the defensive line group in this 2020 class. We are back, and it's time to talk about this defensive line group, the edge rushers and the interior defensive linemen. And, fellas, when I look at this top five, I was not real excited about the edge group uh, or the interior defensive line group. It's not the strongest position in this year's class, these two. But number one for me, Chase Young. This is pretty obvious. Number two, Caleb on Chase on. Number three, Edor Gross Matos. Number four, Josh Uche. And number five, with a pretty big asterisk due to injuries, Terrell Lewis from Alabama. I think Lewis 
Lewis would probably be number three for me if I felt confident that he was healthy. Players had two knee surgeries at Alabama. Alabama does not have the greatest track record of health in the history of college football. So you worry about that a little bit. But uh, I, I think Lewis, 6'5", 265. We saw him at the Senior Bowl. He just looks, I mean, he looks exceptional. The tape when he's on the field has backed that up. And mine looks a little bit different. I have Chase Young, no duh, Chase on and Gross Matos. I think those guys have solidified themselves as a top three. And then you get into uh, different guys here. I have Bradley and I out of Utah. I think he's a technician. He's going to come in and make some team very happy, probably in the second or third round. And then... I always seem to be a little bit biased towards guys that come on the show. I'm going with Kenny Willickis here. I think that he's another guy that can come in, be that left or right end. He's going to put his hand in the dirt. You know that's what he wants to do. But I think he's going to have success, and he can generate pressure. It's not always about sacks. Generating pressure on the quarterback, I think both these guys at the bottom can do it. In a group with a lot of bust potential, I like Kenny's floor. Mm -hmm. I'll say that. I feel pretty good about Kenny being an NFL player for a long time. My top five, Chase Young at the top, no surprise there. Caleb on Chase on, a guy that's just loaded with traits, and I think Matt might be his biggest fan. Uh, the third one, Yidor Gross Matos, another guy loaded up with traits, just not as impressive as Chase on. And to round it out, Bradley and I and Josh Uche. Uche, very interesting player. I actually think he'll be pretty productive at the next level. Very compact power. And same with Anai. Not going to wow you with speed and, you know, and bend and all those things with Anai, but he just finds ways to win. So it's, you know, is it the best group? No, but is there some productive players besides Chase Young? Maybe. Yeah, maybe. And I'll say that with with all these... <laughs> I still don't feel great about it. No, I don't I don't either. I even with Chase on and I've, I've tweeted about this. We've talked about it on the show a lot. I feel like there's a misconception about what he is because people just think that he's this pin your ears back edge rusher like Randy Gregory, Barkevious Mingo type dude who's just skinny and fast. They've never watched him play if that's what they think because yeah, it's a great he drops point. in pass coverage. He stops the run. Uh, and I love Chase Young. He's going to be up there with Miles Garrett for me. Uh, he's going to be number one player in the class with a bullet. My man does not stop the run at all. Chason's better against the run. Uche's better against the run. Grossmatos is better against the run. So there are holes to all these players. Even though Chase Young, we can sit here for 20 minutes and sell you on the athleticism, the moves that this guy uses at Ohio State. They let him play right defensive end. He does whatever the fuck he wants over there. I mean, hand plays, spin moves, <laughs> dips his shoulder. I think I've seen him leap over an offensive tackle. He just goes crazy out there. Chason is has to play a different type of football because they run the ball so damn much in the SEC. Not to say Chason is on a level with with Chase Young. He's not. He's number nine on my board. Chase Young's number one, but he can be a Josh Allen in this class where he can do a little bit of everything. I I would love to see him play more outside linebacker with Chase Young as a four three defensive end. Those two I feel good about. After that. I feel like it gets very scheme-specific. Even like Josh Uche, who uh, two of us had on our list. Uh, he's, a, he's a short, compact guy who is not going to be a fit for every team. Uh, Terrell Lewis might not be a fit for every team. Kenny Willickus might not be a fit for every team. Uh, I'm curious. You guys have Bradley and I on your list, and I do not. He's, I, I think, would be the next man up for me on my rankings. What do you guys see in Bradley and I? 
I, I like I said, technician, a guy that knows how to use his hands. He's not going to be the most athletic guy on the field. I don't have his combine numbers in front of me, but he, he's going to be able to go and compete against any offensive lineman. He's going to work the film room. He's going to work to find what moves can I use against him. And he's got a whole toolbox of things that he can use. So his hand use, his functional strength, relentless to the quarterback. I mean, he's probably a coach's son. I don't know, but he has all those <laughs> tools that I think that he's going to come in. He's going to be a locker room guy. He's going to probably play uh, some special teams if you need a big guy out there. I really like him. Not as he's not going to be a pro bowler, but I don't think a lot of these guys are. I mean, he's the number four edge rusher. I think he probably goes in the second round, but I think that he's a safe pick. I really like his floor and what he can do in the NFL. And what I like about Anaya is he, he understands where he succeeds and how he wins. He's not this guy that consistently tries to go outside and thinks he's this speedster you know, like Chase on can do. Chase on can do that. Chase Young can do that. Gross Mottos can do that. I think with the Nye, he really sets up tackles to counter back in. And, and it's not just with a club or a swim. I think we saw him working a spin move a couple times this year, and, and it worked a lot better than I expected for a guy like him. So I thought with the Nye, Melo, you nailed it. Is he going to be a pro bowler? No. But is he your. Uh, you know, edge rusher across from your premier guy that can clean up with eight sacks a year. I wouldn't be surprised if he can. So I think in a class where you're looking for, you know, you're looking at a lot of these guys and a ton of them have traits. And I think you make a good point about chase on Matt. He's a complete player, but gross Matos is the ultimate traits player where, you know, it's, it's going to be all or nothing with him. I really think so. And I think you can't take that risk until the end of round one with an eye. I think he could play right away with Uche. I think he could play a little bit right away as well. Did uh, Julian Okwara, I know he's out with the broken fibula. Did he pop for either of you where you thought, um, he might be a top five player. I have him as the number six edge rusher in this class, uh, with a nigh at seven, Alton Robinson at eight. Okwara's bend and burst are really intriguing to me. But he's very, very light. I mean, he's going to be under 250 pounds, um, probably maybe under 240. The injury scares me a little bit. And he was like, I mean, he had one really good year of production. We talked to Brian Kelly about it when we had him on during the Senior Bowl. But um, I'm intrigued by Okwara. But and I think I bring him up because he's a pretty big name who had. Um, you know, we expected a little bit more this year than we got, though. I think he has some upside to his game. Very athletic kid. Uh, I was actually watching Makai Becton versus Notre Dame. Now, I think that he can get a bend on almost any tackle. But like you said, the injuries are going to be a concern. The weight is going to be a concern and not be able to go through all the testing. I have him right now at number seven as an edge rusher in my board. Yeah, and I think when you look at him, I mean, I'll, I'll probably have him Somewhere between six to eight. I haven't done six to ten officially yet. I think it's the problem with Aquara is his best is as good as anyone's. That's the thing. Like his best is like it works at the next level, but you just want to see a more rounded out player more consistently and obviously healthy. So him and Terrell Lewis are the two guys that I struggle with the most. Like I could have convinced myself to have them at four. Yep. And they're not even in my top five. Yeah, Terrell Lewis is another guy that once you see him on the field, he looks like he should be everything. But those injuries are a big concern uh, with the knee injuries. Not very productive at Alabama. I I could see him turning it on in the NFL, getting healthy. <laughs> like you said, Matt, Alabama doesn't always have the best medical records coming out. So maybe once this guy does get healthy, he can turn it on in the pros. There's just so many questions with that knee injury. 
Yeah, let's move. And that was kind of like Christian Miller last yep. year, yes, right? Exactly like that. Yeah, I think I think Terrell Lewis is better, but so if Terrell goes late first, be like, okay, I see it. If he goes day three, be like, yep, medicals were bad. So uh, it, he's one of those players where I think there's going to be a, a variety of opinions on him, especially as we get closer to the draft. We'll find more uh, information on medicals with these guys. Let's go to the interior defensive line. Derek Brown, number one for me. Javon Kinlaw at number two. They are both in my top 12 overall players as of now, or excuse me, top 10 overall players. A.J. Epinesa, third. Marlon Davidson from Auburn, fourth. And then Ross Blacklock uh, from TCU, fifth. I like Ross Blacklock's tape more than Marlon Davidson's and might even give A.J. Epinesa a run. But I worry about a player who had a torn Achilles in 2018 and a torn pec in February 2019. So a little bit injury prone, super athletic, Great first step. Probably going to be somewhat scheme-specific because I believe he weighed in at 290 pounds at the combine, so a little bit of a smaller player. But if you're looking for a three technique, Ross Blacklock is a really intriguing name, and and I, I highlight him because he's not someone we've spent a lot of time talking about on the show. Yeah, I think there are a lot of guys like that, even like the Neville Gallimores, the Blacklock, James Lynch, a lot of guys that are going to be very specific. And it's hard for us to sit here and put a big board together because we're doing it for all 32 teams. Uh, some guys are going to look at this and say, oh, that's exactly what we need. Move him up the board. We don't need a guy like AJ Epinesa. But for me, I'm going to start with number one. I think it's Derek Brown on everybody's list. Javon Kinlaw, two. Marlon Davidson, number three for me. AJ Epinesa, number four. And Lakai Fotu. I love these Utah guys, so just get used to it. He's going to be a punisher. He's going to be a gap filler, run stopper, and also get after the quarterback a little bit. I really like his game. Number five overall for me at defensive line. All right, number one for me, Derek Brown. No shocker there. Number two, Javon Kinlaw. Just one and two pretty much all year. Three, A.J. Epinesa. Still think he has a high floor as a player. Just not a great ceiling. Four and five, a little different than you guys. Uh, Ross Blacklock and Justin Matabuke, two guys that are gap shooters. Uh, Listen, once again, I think there's a big spectrum for each of them. Mm -hmm. I I think they could both develop into really good pass rushers and guys that could compile a lot of tackles for a loss as run stoppers with how quickly they can find themselves into the backfield. It's just going to be interesting if they can consistently do that at the next level. So I like both those players. I think Matabuke was quietly good all year, and same for Blacklock, who was a player that at one point was 330 pounds. Now he comes in at 290. So I think he's really changed his body and skill set over the years, which is honestly really good to see because I think that'll translate a little bit more to today's game. And we right talked about this on the Monday show. Ross Blacklock's combine is one of the most confusing for me because he tested terribly. And his tape, Awful. you notice the athleticism, like the first step quickness, the agility. He tested Absolutely terrible. Mock Draftable has him under the 40th percentile in everything but the 40-yard dash for athletic testing. Not good. So if you just look at that. No, it's it's terrible. What what happened to this guy? I think he plays much better than this. So if he slips a little bit, injuries and a bad combine might factor into that. I do want to go back to A.J. Epinesa because... This uh, I was incredibly high on him. I have moved him down, but I want to say this. Mello, Mello said this perfectly. We are doing this for 32 teams. If I were a team that ran a 4-3 base defense, A.J. Epinesa would be very high on my list of defensive ends because he fits that perfectly. I've compared him to Trey Flowers. The power in his game is exceptional. He's just not going to be able to play outside the tackle very often and give you a lot of bend, but if you were going to pair him... Like, if you paired him with Harold Landry in Tennessee, 
oh my God, like it's a perfect fit. Or if you want to pair him, you know, if if the Niners lost Ark Armstead and we're like, you know what, we're going to draft another D lineman. Please don't do this because people would riot. He would fit so well there. Or with Seattle, like just get him in the right scheme where it fits what he does so, so well. I think Epines will be a really good NFL player. He's not going to be Chandler Jones or Khalil Mack or anything, but I think he's going to be a good, solid starter. Yeah, I I like Epinesa, but it's so scheme-specific for me. Like, if you pair him with another DN who's a little bit smaller, put him on the left side, that's what I like him doing most. I don't want to see... I don't want to see him put on a bunch of weight and try to be a three tech. I don't want to see him cut a bunch of weight and try to be a true edge rusher. I think you put him on the left side of the defensive line and he could really have a very good career there. It's, but it's all very specific. What team is specifically looking for an edge or a, a defensive lineman that can come play left end opposite of their smaller right end? Well, Seattle fucked up and drafted LJ Collier. They could just fix I that. I mean, yeah, that would have been the perfect fit in Seattle, but they just took a guy that, to fill that role. Yeah, he's not any good. I'm fascinated to see what a staff asks him to play at. Like, when you look at it, he's somebody that could probably play at 265 or can play at 290. Yeah. So I th- I'm very curious to see if they want to. It's like he came into the combine a little lighter and just and so did Blacklock, and they both just honestly failed miserably. I, I, think, so, I thought FNS actually yeah. did okay for his size. Like, when you put it into the context, his I was 17 reps on the bench, Maybe I had though. Expectations. I mean, he's got incre- 34 inch arms. Still I'm 17 okay. reps. I'm, yeah, 17's a little low, but I thought his three cone. I mean, they weren't great by any stretch of the imagination, but a team like Atlanta, I think that might be what the first. Well, you talk about Atlanta, Dallas in the middle of round one, all the way down to like a, a Seattle at the end. I think that's kind of where his well, floor is. I'll see. I'll say this: Big Country thinks he can run faster than AJ Epinesa's right five hundred four at the same size, basically. So, oh goodness, I'm I can't wait to see I, this. I'm rooting so for we him. have a bet with a uh, Big Country who helps us on the road. He's a he's twenty four years old. He's a big kid. He's six three. He says he's about two ninety right now. He believes he can run a sub five second forty. He actually thinks he can run a four seven. He thinks he can. We settled on. Sub five by May 2nd. Break five. If he breaks five, I have to have just a mustache from the month of May, which I'm okay with because this is not going to happen. Just throwing that out there. I gave him till August, and he gets any New York City steak dinner like, he wants. Keens is like, all he has to do is Keens go under is five. $200 each. I'm flying up with him for this. Ross Blacklock I mean, is 6'3", and he ran a 4'9". This is like what a, a yeah. top athlete right. going into the NFL, maybe a first-round pick. <laughs> if he gets sub-5, we're, we're getting him an NFL workout. <laughs> At least the XFL. I can't say it enough. I don't think people realize how fast sub five forty. We've been are. trying to tell him this all week. It is so yeah, – you're moving so fast. It's – Flying. Yeah, yeah. Flying. I even tried. And you need a good I start. tried to tell him. I was like, dude, Clyde Edwards Hilaire, we can all agree, is an exceptional <laughs> athlete. Ran a 4.6. And you're saying you can run a 4.7? Well, like, that's what we're like. Mahomes ran a 4.8. Like, <laughs> come on. You're not, you're not, you're not Patrick Mahomes. Uh, fun with 24 year olds. Let's take a break. We cut back draft on draft time. It is draft on draft time. I swear, Thursday, I'm doing this with a beer. Rest, Wes Rowlett. Why'd your parents do that to you? Wes Rowlett. That is a Wes Rowlett. <laughs> right. With the rumors of the Washington. Is this a joke? Why are we so many? <laughs> I just copy and paste them. Of the Washington team looking. Thank God for not saying Redskins. If Wes Rowlett said rumors of the Washington Redskins, <laughs> how much wood could you chuck? Looking at quarterbacks, what are the chances of John Gruden 
talking to Jay about his former quarterback and Haskins ending up in Vegas with slash behind car. Well, Wes Rowlett, Jay Gruden didn't like Dwayne Haskins, so that's <laughs> not going to happen. <laughs> I mean, right. I love I love conspiracy theories. I actually listened to that podcast. This one doesn't have a lot to it. Right. I, I think if you're going to talk to anybody about Haskins, you maybe you would start at the head coach, but it, he didn't want to play him. Like, I think that was part of the reason, if I'm not mistaken, that he got let go early yep. is that he didn't want to go to the rookie quarterback. And you know, a lot of people out there say like Haskins didn't know the playbook. I'm mean, Adrian Peterson is who I'm sourcing here for this one, the running back. I, so I just, I don't think there's going to be a huge market for Dwayne Haskins. They might just have to roll with him. Or, you know, if they do take Tua, I don't, I don't think you're getting a second rounder back for him. The story was that Jay wanted Daniel Jones. And yeah. um, Bruce Allen and ownership, probably because of Bruce Allen, wanted Haskins. So that was the beginning of the end of Jay, who, I mean, we'll see. So far, Jay's, uh, Jay's looking good right now. We'll see. Right. He's looking right so far. Uh, man. I don't. It's funny because every year that we've been doing this, people want to replace Derek Carr. Mm-hmm. Every year, and he's. I, I don't think Derek Carr's the best quarterback in the NFL, but that's not an easy dude to just go out and replace. He's got an expensive contract, and like you said, like he's he's not failing. Like he had a pretty good year last year. I think it was even Mayock that's like this dude completed seventy percent of his passes and threw for like four thousand yards. What more do you want him to do? And I wouldn't get rid of him. Uh, sitting here, even as a Chiefs fan, like I think Derek Carr is a pretty good quarterback. I think that John Gruden keeps him. He took this job knowing that Derek Carr is his quarterback. I think there's a lot to that. Yeah, I agree. Number two question, Nick Lothian. We know the top. Oh, we already answered. No, we didn't. We know the top four offensive tackles. Rank the next four. So we did that with Josh Jones. Number six for me, like I said, Austin Jackson. After that, I think you get into some guys who are very, very questionable because of injury. Um, so I would have Isaiah, well, I would have Isaiah Wilson at seven. I just think That's he's a right like. tackle only great in the run game, but right tackle only Lucas Nyang would be next from, from TCU did not allow a sack in three seasons, but he had a labrum inj- injury late season. Um, body doesn't look great all the time. I think Ezra Cleveland is enticing because he's a very good athlete, but he lacks strength, like cannot move in the run game at all because of that. But he is, he is athletic. So that's how my, those are the tackles I have in the top 100. I don't have Prince Tega from Auburn in the top 100. He would probably be next, though. I, I have Austin Jackson, six. I think that's pretty common. I have Prince Tega, seven, actually. I like his game. Lucas Nyang, uh, I, I see a lot of upside there. I think he can still go in the second round. Isaiah Wilson is still really good. After that, I've got some work to do. Like I, I don't know where my board's at right now. I, I, I'm going to jump in real quick. Sadiq Charles, if it weren't for off-field, would be yeah, probably totally. ahead of Isaiah Wilson. But, I mean, you got suspended for uh, six games this year because of rumors of failed drug tests. But he's a great athlete. If he can get his head on straight, he could be really, really good. Do you guys have any thoughts on Ben Barch? I think it's a great story with that milkshake. Uh, and he Same. had a good, a good like a senior bowl week combine. I think he's good, but he's he's a good story. He's an okay football player. That's kind of how I see him. I mean, I thought his senior bowl week was good, and it kind of answered the level of competition plays. You can't watch his film and, and get really anything from it because St. John's was just so small. I see him as like a late third round type developmental guy who's going to have to 
add power, going to have to just work on cleaning up and, and technique because when you're when you're that good at St. John's, you don't have to rely on anything. So I'm intrigued by him at least. That's fair enough. Yeah, fair so. enough. Offensive right. tackle class, a lot of fun. All right, our guy Dan Alter, Dan, 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 Dan. What are some free agent signings that could change the trajectory of the draft? Tom Ooh, Brady's the obvious one, right? Like Tom Brady's going to change the trajectory of the draft in a, a major way. I think Jack Conklin is like the realistic one because I think he is on the move in teams like the Browns and the Jets, hell, maybe even like the Giants. All those teams that maybe are going to take an offensive tackle, if they just go ahead and address, hell, the Arizona Cardinals, throw him in at right tackle immediately. Now you don't need a right tackle anymore. So instead of seeing four of these guys go top 10, maybe we only see two of them go top 10 and I think another one here is you know if Byron Jones goes to the Giants I I wouldn't but do they stay away from Jeff Kuda if they have the chance to get him I don't know there's a lot here Uh, if Yannick Ngakwe is traded somewhere yeah will Mm -hmm. that you know uh cancel out somebody taking an edge pass rusher or they won't even have a first round pick that team I think the Chargers are the biggest one for me if they do anything in free agency at quarterback it changes a lot because they are the team right now that I think are the, you know, either Tua or Herbert kind of team. And after trading Russell Okun, like if they get Cam Newton, do they then go for a Tristan Wirfs or Mekhi Becton? You know, they need a to. Lot of def- Chris Jones is a huge one on the defensive side of the ball. They, the Chiefs say they're going to tag him. Um, that could be a tag and trade situation. So he could really, uh, and I guess that's not free agency, but the, the tag is. Clowney's a big one. If he goes to the Dolphins, that frees them up to go a lot of different directions with Shaq those three Barrett. first round picks. Shaq Barrett's probably going to get tagged, but that's definitely a big one. Um, yeah, there's a lot, and I, I think we, you know, we talk a lot about the Patriots on the show for good reason. They could lose not just Tom Brady, Joe Thune, Kyle, Kyle Van Noy, the McCordys. They could lose so much in free agency. Like we could see a really, really different looking Patriots team next year, which completely changes the AFC. If if Brady's gone, if Thune's gone. Uh, we could be seeing a rebuilding New England Patriots for the first time since like 1995. Since so, Bill got there, yeah, yeah. I mean, even like when Parcells was there, they were pretty good. So it it could be it could be a whole new world out there. We'll see. It's Connor's I mean, like I hope. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm not saying anything. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No. All right. Last question at DCB72. A UK fan, we don't get as much player information throughout the year. Is there ever a year where there isn't a consensus number one pick? Oh, yeah. Oh, 2018, yeah. <laughs> there was not a consensus number one pick. So that was the year Baker, Baker Mayfield yeah. went first overall. So, absolutely, there are a lot of years where there's not a consensus. I mean, I even think the the year that uh, Jadamian Clowney went first overall, a lot of people thought the Texans should have gone quarterback in that draft or should have gone uh, offensive tackle in that draft. So, I would say it's more rare when there is a consensus. Oftentimes what happens is the team with the number one pick, they don't have anything to hide. So it gets leaked who they want. That player just kind of becomes the consensus by default. I think what made 2018 unique was no one knew what the Browns were going to do until day of the draft. 2017, we'd all heard Miles Garrett, but that was very up in the air. I mean, there were rumors it was going to be Mitch Trubisky up until... You know, the time the pick was called. I think golf wins. There was even some argument there, there wasn't there? There shouldn't have been. But I think there was. Yeah. Yeah. 2015, Winston and Mariota. I think there was some back and forth on that one, too. 2013, the Eric Fisher draft. I feel like he wasn't the favorite <laughs> until like two days before. Yeah, that was a terrible draft. That yeah, was a very bad draft. But yeah, 
Not always. You know, to, to wrap it up, yeah. Not. A, I would say, what do you think, more often than not or 50-50? I'd say it's about 50-50. I, I, yeah. I think a lot of times, like with Baker Mayfield, you'll get it two days before. It's like, no, the Browns are going with Baker Mayfield. Like, this is going to happen. But it wasn't like a consensus this whole time. I mean, we've yeah. been mocking Burrow to the Bengals for months now. So, yeah, he is like the true consensus. Everybody knows it's going to happen. I think in most drafts, you get up until like the week before, maybe – two weeks before the draft, then you start to figure out the number one overall pick. So I would say that this is a true consensus number one. Everybody knows what's happening. You usually don't get that. No, it's the NFL doesn't want you to get that. So this year is a little bit different for sure. Last year, we tried telling you guys from January 7th until the draft that it was going to be Kyler Murray and uh, got that one right. So hopefully if we're right again this year. We'll be back Friday morning uh, continuing our big board breakdown. We'll see what other CBA news we have for you guys. I'm sure something will happen between now and then to keep things exciting. For Connor and Mello, thanks for hanging out with us. We'll talk to you guys real soon. 